Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have got a cool dude on today. Y'all are going to enjoy this interview. This I got Robbie Cornelius coming on with me here in a second. So we'll see you in a minute. All right, we're back. We got Kimberly in the house already. What's up, Kimberly? I want to welcome my buddy, Robbie Cornelius. Welcome, bro. Hey, how are you doing, Ken? Man, Thank you for having me, brother. I'm excited to have you here, dude. I'm excited. Hey, I saw That was you. a phenomenal intro you just had. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, um, I saw some videos of you on TikTok, man. <laughs> and, and and actually Joe Ingram, my buddy Joe, is who's Joe. like he said, dude, you gotta have this guy on your show. And I said, All right. So I went and checked you out and I'm like, Yeah, I gotta have this guy on my show <laughs> for real. So um, so so welcome, man. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. I, I created this show about two and a half years ago. And, and it was to, to help people have a breakthrough in life. And I've interviewed somewhere around 300 people or so celebrities and entrepreneurs. And, um, it's all about helping people get to the next level in life. And I know you're all about that, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, let's start with where you were born and raised, Robbie. I was born and raised in uh, this very small, small, small town called Hayhira, Georgia. So I was born there in a place called Smith Hospital. Um, shortly after that, I think we moved to Valdosta, Georgia. Okay. That's and, down uh, on, the, on the Florida, Georgia line, isn't it? Absolutely. Home yeah. of the Wildcats, Lounge Vikings, and things of that nature. Yeah. We moved down there and... Um, you know, that's that's it. We we moved there. Um, life was really, really tough growing up. And looking back at how tough my life was, I appreciate that now. Yeah. And, and you know, we can dive into why I appreciate that. But I look around right now and I see a lot of. Uh, I see I, I see a lot of things I don't quite understand. Yeah. Like what? I see a lot of softness. I see, I see, I see, I just see softness. I see a bunch of people complaining. Yeah. And I'm like, man, y'all are soft. You know, you're not. And when I say soft, I don't mean wake up every day and be mean. Yeah. But we, we'll dive into how my life was growing up. So like when I, I had a near death experience at age of seven. What happened? Riding in the back seat of my mother's vehicle. I was looking out the side window. We come to a red light. Light turns green for us. We proceed. I'm looking out the window, and all of a sudden, boom, red Cherokee Jeep smashed into the side that I was looking out of. Not the plug in my head. 
I used to Whoa. say it was the size of two golf balls, but who knows? Wow. <laughs> but, it, but it knocked the plug out of my head. So if you see the scar right here, the scar when I was seven years old, it used to wrap all the way around this eyelid and curve back. So it, it healed a lot. I had to have plastic surgery. So, wow. Um, you know, they didn't even expect me to, to function properly after that. You know, it was a, a very big impact. And I remember it like it was yesterday because that year it snowed in my city for the first time that I'd seen. And hmm. I remember laying on the couch after I got out the hospital, I had bandages wrapped around my face. I look out the window and it's snowing, you know, that was the first time I got off the couch and, and went outside, you know, but life was really tough for me growing up. You know, I went, I went through that. And then after those physical scars healed, I had a lot of emotional scars that were about to be exposed. Was this was in Valdosta? This was in Valdosta. Yes, it sir. It snowed in Valdosta. It snowed in Valdosta. I think this was around nineteen. I want to say nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. One of That's the two. When I was in Atlanta, and they had the hundred year blizzard. So that that I think we were on the tail end of that. Oh, okay. It, yeah. it was more like ice because the roads yeah. were just slippery. <laughs> I, yeah, I still, yeah. My, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you how old it was. My mother worked at uh, this place called Langdale Ford, and she worked for this uh, family called uh, by the name of the Laskies. So she worked for a guy named Bill Lasky. She used to clean his house. And they loved my mother so much that they bought her a brand new station wagon. They gave it to her that year for Christmas. <laughs> so oh, that's wow. how old that was, you know. Wow. That's <laughs> but, uh, there's there's my buddy Eric Cornelius. <laughs> that's my brother right there. That's right. Yeah. He's he's my cousin. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So 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 you, you went through this trauma. Yeah. Had a hole knocked in your head mm -hmm. at seven years old. They said that you were you're not going to be the same. Yeah. And and what happened? So there's probably some gaps in my story, but I the, the next thing I remember is me returning back to school. And I was kind of self-conscious about the scarring. And I remember going back to school, all my classmates heard about what happened. And so Immediately, they start running up to me as I enter the classroom and they start feeling sorry for me. Oh, my God, Robbie, are you okay? Guess what this taught me to do? It taught me to adopt the role of a victim. I realized that if I was a victim, people would feel sorry for me and they mm. would show me attention. Mm. Yeah. And so I developed, I think this started me developing this victim mentality. And, uh, Although it was, you know, it, it felt good to be acknowledged by people. It felt good for people to say, hey, are you okay? Is there anything I can yeah. do for you? And guess what I did? I would use this as an excuse. You know, I would say, I didn't do my homework last night. Oh, why didn't you do your homework? Oh, I had a headache. I, I, I started developing all these excuses in my mind as to why I was doing something or not doing something. And so long story short, um, Although the physical scars started to heal back at home, when I was going home every day, I didn't know what 
the day was going to be like. I didn't know what the night was going to be like because I started to become keenly aware that my father had a serious problem. He had a serious problem with drinking and violence and mm. gambling. And uh, some nights we would go home and life was good. Some nights we would go home and we would be running out of the house at two o'clock in the morning because my father was drunk, beating on my mother. Wow. I mean, literally. So I lived in a state of chronic stress and paranoia for probably 27 years of my life. Wow. And the reason why is because my father trained us to always be on guard. Like when you don't know if the person inside of your home is going to harm you today or not, that trains you to 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 be in a chronic state of fight or flight every single day. Yep. And I want to paint this picture for you because you know, this is where my toughness started to de- to be developed. Uh literally, I remember one night in particular we lived on this street called Marion Street. It was in a duplex. And our neighbor had a son that was uh, about our age. So we we befriended him and we his mother allowed him to stay the night over the house that night. And un- we went to bed about two or three o'clock in the morning, you know, just kids hanging out, sleeping on the on the floor with a little blanket and everything. And all of a sudden, as we fall asleep, I hear screams coming from my mother's room. My father is in there beating the crap out of my mother. So at this, I think this age, I'm about to, I'm about at this age, I'm in the, probably in the fifth grade. Wow. So I go in there, I I kicked, I karate kicked the door down, like literally with both feet, boom. And as I, my dad looked at me like, what, who in the hell do you think you are? And he walked over to me. And he punched me in my mouth like a man. Wow. And when he punched me in the mouth like a man, I hit the I hit the ground and I said, you know, all rage broke out. I said, I'm going to kill you. I said, I'm going to kill you. And, you know, I was just, I was raging, man. And I pretended as if I didn't have a gun, but I pretended as if I had a gun. Magically, this fifth grader has a gun somewhere in his room. (laughs) I didn't have one, but I pretended like I did because I know I needed, I needed to distract him from beating on my mother. I knew that if I could pretend like I had a gun, that would give my mother and my little brother enough time to run out of the house. And that's what happened. Wow. When I said I was getting my gun, he went out the back door. He ran. My mother ran out the front door with my brother, and then I caught up with them down the road. We we ended up staying in an abandoned house that night. Wow. We found a house in the neighborhood that nobody had lived in for a while, and we we stayed in there that night and uh, until we were able to contact my, my mother's brother that morning, and then we went to his house. But that was a repeated cycle for at least... 15, 16 years of my life. That's how life was. You, you're, wow. You're home having a good life one night. The next night, you're you're running out of the house in the middle of the night. 
and my family, my you know, uncles and aunts, they got tired of it. You know, they were like, why are you keep why do you keep going back to the same situation? Yeah. And so that's how it was. So with all of that going on, Ken, and I know I'm talking a lot. Stop me. No, nah, dude, this this it's your story, bro. Keep going. Uh school was the last thing on my mind. So I would go to school and I would feel isolated. I see all these kids there. They seem to be at home in their natural habitat. People are behaving in ways as if like life is just great or, yeah, you know, meanwhile, by the time I'm in the sixth grade, I've been in a near death experience. Um, I've been shot at, I've been beat up, and I've seen my uncle get killed in front of me. And it and so I grew up very fast and I never really got to be a child. And I would go to school and and, and work was the last thing on my mind. My teacher would say, Where's your work? I said, I, I didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? She, we stayed in an abandoned building last night. Wow. I mean, how am I going to do it there? You know, I didn't tell the teacher that, but this is what I'm thinking in my mind. So I would make up stories like the the, the one I used to use all the time. The dog ate my homework. It was a crazy yeah. thing looking back now. But yeah, school was the last thing on my mind. I would literally go to school and think about my strategy for going back into that hostile environment every afternoon. What, what what am I going to do if my dad comes home drunk tonight? Because my dad used to go to this place called um, the, uh, the Dog Track. He would go bet on dogs in uh, Monticello, Florida. And we got it down to a science. If we hadn't heard from my father by 11 o'clock that night, we started packing our bags. Because wow. we knew that that meant that either he lost all of his money and he was drunk and he was going to come home and beat the hell out of everybody or either he won a lot of money and he was drunk and we probably wasn't going to see him that night, but he was going to come home after he spent all of his money on booze and women and things of that nature. So we just knew that if we didn't hear from him by a certain time, we had to go. And so, wow. You know, we we just we just trained ourselves. So and I credit my mother. My mother is a very strong woman. You know, she did all that she could do to to make sure that we had somewhat of a normal life with all that chaos. But that taught me to to just be tough. You know, when my father, a man that I come from, when my father beat me the way he did, when I saw him beat my mother the way he did that hardened me, you know, it made yeah. me not want to trust anybody. Right. Um, and it made me, I'm going to be honest with you, Ken. Um, it, it taught me to be, I didn't, res- I felt like if my father didn't respect my life, I didn't have to respect anybody else's life. So I, I grew up with that mentality as to uh, either you're going to get me or I'm going to get you. Mm. And uh, I lived with that for like 27 years of my life. Uh, my father ended up passing away uh, when I was 16 on his birthday. Ironically, he just up and died on his birthday. From what? He had a heart attack. Uh, at the time, uh, he and my mother had separated and he was living in some type of boarding house. 
And uh, the last words I said to my father was, I'm going to kill you. And the reason why I said it is because my brother went to uh, to stay with him one one afternoon. And I got a call that he had beat my brother. My brother loved my father. My brother was my father's son. And wow. like he loved he loved our father unconditionally. My dad could do no wrong in his eyes. And when he when he jumped on my brother because my brother was trying to prevent my dad from going out that night. He jumped on my brother. I, 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 you know, I, I called my dad. I was like, "Look, when I see you, I'm gonna kill you." And, you know, and that, I was just that mad. You know, I, at the time I was like 16 years old. But literally, about about a week later, maybe, I come home. I had a job at Harvey Supermarket, and the pro, I worked in the produce department. Um, I come home from work. My mother and the neighbors are outside barbecuing. I go in the house. I speak to everybody. I go in the house, take off my Harvey's apron. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and next thing you know, I hear like this faint, this faint sound like laughter, but almost crying at the same time. I'm like, what is that? Just walked in. What's going on now? Are they arguing? Who's arguing outside? I go in the hallway. We lived in a trailer and my mother's friend, which is which was our neighbor, is in the room with my mother. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm thinking, like, are y'all arguing at each other? Like, this is weird. I just got home. <laughs> uh, uh and my mom, my mom's friend looked at me and she says, Tell him. And I said, Tell me what? And my mom looked at, she looked up and she said, Your dad was just found dead. And I was like, What? This Whoa. was like a dream, like womp, 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 womp. like yeah. it was like a twilight zone. And I remember looking at my mom. I was so numb. I went to my room and I laid down and I just cried, cried, cried. And I pretended as if it was a dream. I said, if I go to sleep and then I wake up, I'll realize this is a bad dream. Well, I woke up the next morning and we had family members over at our house that would never come visit us. Yeah. Once I saw that, I said, you know, this is real. I said, this wow. is real. And I'll tell you what. This is going to sound weird to your audience, but uh, we, we we found out that he passed away from a heart attack. Supposedly, he got off work early to go celebrate his birthday that night. He went back to his boarding room. He was changing clothes and was able to get one pant one leg out of his pants mm. and had a heart attack and died right there. And they found him a day later. I think if, if I'm not mistaken, this was when I was 16. Yeah. And, uh, and so at the same time I was sad and this is going to sound weird, but also there was a sigh of relief. Because I realized I didn't have to live in fear anymore. I realized I didn't have to worry about my mother anymore. You know, there was times my mother would come home and he would, my father was crazy. He was a hardened, my dad was just a really crazy man. Just, um, there would be times where she would come home and he would be under the, under the house. This is when they built the houses high off the ground and you can climb. He would be under the house waiting on us with a shotgun. This is this is the type of person what? he was. And for some reason back then, 
men could beat women back then and they would get out of jail the next day. I don't know if it's still like that today, but no, no. yeah, they would get out of, he would literally, he, my dad went to jail so many times. I can't even tell you how many, um, let let, let me ask you this though. What did, did you ever, um, was it generational? I don't know. Um, I do know that his side of the family was, they were just really tough men. I don't know. Like, like I'll tell you, they they prided themselves on being just tough. Like yeah. I had one uncle, my uncle that I, uh, my uncle that was killed uh, in front of me. He was like he. We called him, like he was like one of the strongman competitions, like that type of guy. Like he was just built. big beard, mouthful of gold teeth. Like we just knew that nobody. <laughs> Nobody messed with that guy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Nobody messed with him. His name was Junior. Everybody wow. called him Junior. Nobody messed with Junior. So when I saw Junior get killed, I was like, what? So that, how, when, that was how, his, what, you saw him get like what shot? So he, he had a significant other that uh, I don't know if I'm in frame right now. Let's no, see. you're not. There you okay. go. Okay. So it's he had not. a, it keeps it, moving it, for it, some it, reason. I have one of those zooming cameras. <laughs> what is it? What kind of camera is that? It is a uh, Insta 360. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So um, he, uh, he had a mistress right down the road from our house, like almost r- directly across the street. And, uh, Shots rang out like I th- reported, you know, I'm little at the time. So I think she she unloaded and reloaded into him. His He was killed by his mistress. And uh, right after that, we run out the house and we get down there. And there he is laying, laying in the door of his LTD. Jeez. And uh, I don't even think she got charged for that. Um. So I don't know what the whole story was, but there he is, my my tough, uh, coldest steel uncle. I mean, the toughest man. That he he was one of these guys that could pick up a car, you know what I mean, and scoot it to the side. That's how tough he was. So long story short, I don't know if it was like I don't know what their upbringing was like, but I know they were very tough. They were very feared in the community. That uh, you know, people just know you didn't mess with our family, and so. When my father, when I went to my father's funeral, I actually, I I was so relieved that I felt like that was God answering my prayer, to be honest with you. I was just so tired of living in a state of paranoia. So like my father was, you know, the last words I told, you know, me and him had issues when I, when he passed away. So I literally thought that my father was probably going to come hunt me down because of what I told him for jumping on my brother and for, for God to take him away like that. I felt like it was a blessing to my family and I, because he was, you know, I know people have different perspectives and perceptions of people. So to others, he might've been a good man, but I just know from, from my experience, he was bad. Long story short, Ken, how this ties into what I see today in the world. I, I, I realized I realized that I used to listen to a lot of rap music, right? And I used to listen to people like Snoop Dogg and things of that nature. And the worst thing you wanted to be is a fake gangster, right? 
And yeah. I realized, I said, man, a lot of the stuff these guys rapping about, pretending like I've actually been through it. I've actually been through the violence. I've actually been through the near-death experience. And I remember yeah. at the age 16, coming home from school, I made a choice to be a gangster. I was like, I'm going to be a gangster. And I'm going to be the toughest gangster you ever seen. So I remember that they <laughs> consciously making that decision. And so... Yes. I, who do, who does that, man? Who just like, think, does, you know what? I, I think I'm going to be a gangster. I, th I think because I, I realized I had all the rest. Of, I had like just inherently. Yeah, I had all the I had every ingredient that a street kid would have. Yeah, right. right. And what I'm when I mean by that, I knew that I was a good kid inherently. Yeah. But me making that decision was me saying I'm tired of living in fear. Yeah. I'm I'm going to be the one pushing back. I'm not going to I'm not taking anything from anybody anymore. My dad what? did me wrong. I, I and and it developed this victim mentality in me. I look at, always look at, look at look at Joe Ingram quoting some NWA right there. <laughs> <laughs> the boy No, that when he said that right there, the boys yeah. in the hood is all that is very true. The yeah. boys in that's why you see what you see today. Yep. With things like Black Lives Matter, and yeah. when you see these kids out here rebelling like this, they can't they can't really justify why they're failing. They can't understand why their family doesn't have anything. They don't think they don't understand that it's. They look around and they see the world. They think the world is attacking them. I used to be exactly like that. I For used real. to I used to think just like that. You think you are taught in the hood, you are taught to believe. When I was growing up in the hood, the the white man was always the enemy. You just that's what you inherently were taught, not by just your parents, but just by the community. Wow. And one thing I started to become keenly aware of when I when I navigated out there in the world, I said, Man, I haven't had one white guy try to take me out yet, but I've had a lot of black guys try to take me out. <laughs> and I said, So who's the Hold enemy? You like, had that thought. You had that thought. I had that thought. Even when I was out there, I was like, Bro, people don't have that thought. They like, don't have that thought. I was no. like, I said, I haven't had one, <laughs> one white guy try to take me out yet. But I got all these other dudes out here that look just like me. They want to get me out of here, they want to put me in the ground. Wow. And uh, that's when I started, something started to click inside of me. I said, I said, something isn't right about the story I'm being told. Like, something isn't right. And I started to say, I, I made up my mind. I, I think I, I think from, I used to be a rapper too. I used to rap around and, you know, I started doing shows. And I remember one day I started uh, I started being this kid that nobody could really figure out. So it made the other kids want to hang out with me. Yeah. And uh, from there, you know, the way it goes in in urban neighborhoods, a lot of times, either sometimes you're born into a gang or sometimes you just you just create one by default of protection. It's not like people are sitting around like, hey, guys, let's start a gang. That's not usually how it goes. It's like. You have people who don't like you and you know you're outnumbered by those people. And so you join forces with people that do like you. Mm. And then all of a sudden, the people that don't like you and the people that do like you are at odds with each other. That's how gangs are formed. It's just 
is from a form of protection. Yeah. And so, um, and so I, 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 uh, we, we kind of like morphed into a gang, like all of a sudden we were just a gang and I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> All of a sudden I'm, I'm connecting with, uh, like really street guys from like California all over the place. Dang. And, and this is this still in Valdosta? This Georgia? is all still in Valdosta, Georgia. Dude, I I, I see Valdosta, Georgia. I I not I don't think I've ever been there. That camera you have is tripping, by the way. It is tripping, my, <laughs> it is tripping. I don't know. <laughs> it's like all so uh, it might maybe it's a ceiling fan back there that's got it all messed up, man. Like it's like he's on the move. So so um let's see. Hold so, on. Let's see uh, if it focuses on me. Here we go. There it is. There yes. it is. So, so, um, I see Valdosta as this, like, it's like, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever been there. Is, isn't it a little town? It is. So if you, if you are, so there's two Valdostas. I always like to say there's a dark Valdosta and then there's a, you know, a, a publicized Valdosta. Uh, they don't really, a lot of the crime that goes on there, um, they, they talk about it a little bit, but it's not really publicized that much. It's like, it takes place kind of behind closed doors. And, uh, you know, we were a part of that, that culture, you know, you just grew up in it and long story short, I wish my camera wasn't moving. Now I know. Now I know, Ken. I cannot use this camera again during. The can you? Can, you can't turn that that feature off that's making it zip around like that. I, I don't. I don't know anything about it. Man. I don't know, but I don't want to touch it. <laughs> just so you know where yeah. I'm here. You know, just get up and walk around. Let it follow you, man. So, so, so there's so there's a dark side of Valdosta, and and um, meaning a lot of crime and yeah, and and that stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh, a lot. So so what happened? Um, you know, like we were we were like the cool gang. Like we wasn't looking for any trouble. Yeah. We were just uh, like, but if people wanted something, we, we would bring it to them. You know, we would fight and things of that nature, just like yeah. any any teenage group of kids. A lot of times, yeah. But uh, when it started getting serious, is when I started noticing that this dark this dark car with tinted windows keep riding by my house. I wonder why. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm. Then all of a sudden, I would see this strange guy walk by the house with a walkie-talkie, and he would stand in front of my yard and say something on the walkie-talkie. And and as a, as a little kid, as a teenager, I'm just like, what in the world is going on? To me, I'm not doing anything that bad, you know? Like, my, yeah. my reputation uh, superseded what I was actually out there doing. In wow. real life, I was a really cool guy. I didn't yeah. bother anybody. I didn't look for trouble. I tried to avoid trouble at all times. But maybe one or two fights I got in, in a city that small, if you beat somebody up really good, your, your, your reputation is going to get around. Well, he's not the guy to mess with. He'll bring it to you, you know. Yeah. So my reputation superseded what I was actually like. And so word got out, you know, um, the police department started investigating us and everything. 
Wow. And some of the guys that I just knew by association, they were starting to go to prison for like murder, drugs, robbery, all kind of stuff. Like it was getting real. Wow. And uh, long story short, I'll tell you the reason why I back the blue today. This is where my life starts to change. I get a phone call. I had put out an album, a little mixtape, if you call it. And I, I used to write my phone number. It would tell you what kind of stupid criminal I was, right? I would write my <laughs> phone number. I would write my phone number on the CD with a marker. As I as I as I rapped about all of this harsh reality I've gone through. You said stupid criminal. I was I wasn't even a criminal. I was just a guy that was trying to protect myself. You know, I never yeah. robbed anybody, never, yeah. you know, never shot anybody, never did anything, but I was just tough, you know. Yeah, yeah. Plus, I had the name for my family. Yeah, and I rapped about it. I had a, I had the recipe. So anyway, I would write my number on the phone because I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to make it easy for people. This back then, they was just MySpace. You know, you just had <laughs> MySpace and like nothing else. So you needed a way. If P Diddy came across my CD, I needed yeah. P Diddy to be able to call me. Yeah, hit me up, P. <laughs> so one day. <laughs> One day, one Sunday, I'm laying on my, on a friend's couch. I was a loser. I was so loser. I was such a loser. I was laying on a friend's couch. My phone rings. I look at the number. It's a block number. This is back in the day where you still answer block calls. Yeah, like, right. I'm like, hello. And the guy was like, hey. And I said, hey. He says, this is Detective Harold with Valdosta Police Department. I thought it was a joke. So I said, Detective Harold these nuts. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> oh, dude. And the number called back. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> the number called back and I oh. answered it again. I said, hello. He said, hey, man, this is actually Detective Harold with Valdosta Police Department. I said, oh, hey. He says, what you doing? I said, just waking up. And I said, how did you get my number? He said, I got it off your CD. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, oh, he says, hey, man, I listened to your CD. I said, really? He said, yeah, all 18 tracks. And I said, okay. And he says, you got some talent, man. <laughs> he says, and if I was you, I would take that talent and I would pursue it. He says, although I don't really agree about the stuff you're rapping with, I hear the pain and the hunger in your voice. You're one of the realest ones that's doing it. He said, I'm going to put you in on something. He said, those guys that you're hanging out with, we got y'all under a microscope. He says, we're about to take them down. He says, and I've already told everybody at the police department that I think you're just a good guy that's hanging out with the wrong people. He said, they don't believe me. They think you're just like them. They think you're the ringleader. He says, but I just want to let you know, man, I believe in you. He was like, man, I I, I got the CD to investigate you because you, you know, wow. I thought you were going to be incriminating yourself. He says, but your music is good. And I really think you got something. He says, walk away, man. Walk away. When Dude, I hung I up that chills all over my yep, entire body. When when I walk wow. away, when I when I when I hung up the phone that Sunday, I looked around. I said, I'm I'm out. I'm done. I left my friend's house that day. I never looked back. 
And I started doing music. I actually recorded, uh, I, I did a remake of John Cougar Mellencamp's Jack and Diane song. Oh, for I re- real? Yeah, I remade that song. That song took off a little bit in my city. And then people, back then, you know, you could still have a big following relative to, you know, you not being like a big celebrity. So I wasn't a big celebrity or nothing. But back then, I used the internet to put my music out there. Yeah. And little small pockets like My Night, North Dakota or Ogden, Utah, they would book me for shows. And so that that music got me out of my city. Let's hear let's hear some of it. Joe, Joe I'm with Joe, man. Let's hear some of it. Everybody dies someday. Someday I will. So today I live like today I give. So today I live like life never ends. I can't remember. It's, it's been a long time. <laughs> I hadn't wrapped it like 10, 20 years. Uh, 12 years, maybe 11, 12 years. But that music got me out of the city. And I think that I think that detective for making that phone call today because he dramatically impacted the course of my life. So from that moment forward, I made a conscious choice to to always be in support of law enforcement because law enforcement really stepped in as the superheroes. I imagined them to be as a kid. Somebody you know, probably put his job on the line to call a guy that they were investigating (laughs) to say, Hey, I see something good in you. This music is brutal, (laughs) but I I see something in you. And uh, I just started traveling around the United States doing shows from this place to that place and became like a local celebrity in Valdosta. And so when I, uh, I remember when I came back, let me let me show you something really cool. Hold on one second. Yeah, did you see this comment? Oh, he didn't hear me. Oh, there goes his camera following him. <laughs> okay, so the camera's like, where did he go? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, man. It was, <laughs> it was zoomed in. Now it's really tripping. Holy crap. Okay, let's see. There we go. Okay, I, follow me, camera. It might be your microphone, your your uh your your pop filters messing with it, I think. Okay, um, there you go. You can you can get yeah, lower that it'll it'll yeah, there you go. There you okay. go. Okay. So this right here, I don't know if you'll be able to see it. This is uh Source magazine. When uh-huh. I was a when I was a teenager, I dreamed about being in this magazine when I was a kid. I would be I would be in high school and I would come home every single day and I would read these magazines. And yeah. I used to imagine myself being in it. Well, long story short, I ended up being on like the third cover. Wow. Of Source Magazine. That was me back in the day. Wow. I ended up being in that one. Um, I was in this magazine, this particular uh, company's magazine. I was in this magazine a total of three times. The first time I was in it, I was way in the back, but I had a full page spread. And the last time, which was 2000, this was 2000 and this was April 2009. Um, When I came back home, everybody in my city had bought that magazine. So to them, I was a big, I was a big, uh, I was a big celebrity to them. And so everybody was just rooting for me when I came back home. It was unreal. You know, if I, if I had a birthday party, the entire city would come out and not to mention 
even even police officers would come there and be like, yo, man, congratulations, you know, and it was weird. And I remember um, I remember one time I came across the uh, the detective that uh, saved my life. I came back home and he saw me in Walmart and he was standing by the magazine cover. He was standing by the magazine shelf buying this magazine. Wow. And, and I was just walking in Walmart. He looked, his eyes got super big. He said, oh my God. He said, Robbie, I knew you was going to do it. He said, wow. I knew it, man. He said, I told everybody. So I thanked him from the bottom of my heart. I say, look, man, I never would have did it without you, without you making that phone call that day. Thank wow. you so much. You know, he believed in me. Was, and, was this a was this a, a, a white cop or black cop? This was a black cop. Yeah, this it? was a black cop. That's awesome, dude. And wow. um, from that point, all of a sudden, I just started like all of a sudden, for some reason, police officers everywhere just started gravitating towards me for some wow. reason, like white, black. I don't know what it is. I don't know what kind of vibe I gave off. But, you know, even right now, one of my best friends is lieutenant at Valdosta Police Department. One of my best wow. friends stood with me in my wedding. Um, another detective at Valdosta Police Department was actually in my wedding. These are white guys, you know. Yeah. Um, I know so many really good police officers, so many really good men of all color who yep. who back that blue line. Yeah. And I always say I'm an honorary, you know, I'm like, I feel like I'm an honorary cop, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I, I support them, man. They can do no wrong in my eyes. And I know that that's a little biased, but. Um, these guys literally saved my life, gave me a second chance. You know, I have a clean record. I've never been in no type of trouble. I was a good kid hanging out with bad people. And so I remember, but here's the deal, Ken. I'm going to need the explanation of the poster. The cam is in love with it. (laughs) (laughs) It is. That camera is is kind of drawing me poster over there. <laughs> That's some kind of I found that picture right there in a Goodwill back when I visited North Georgia for the first time. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm a big fan of like going into Goodwills and uh, you know thrift shops and things of that nature and finding like weird pieces. Yeah. Love the blue line. They need our prayers today more than ever. Yes, they sure do. They yep, sure do. They right? do, man. Um. But but uh, Ken, you know, I'm sorry. I, I'm a motor mouth. No, nah, dude, mouth. this is this has been great. So I want to talk about. Let's get into. Um, so you, the, the, this this cop calls you, tells you, dude, get get your stuff together. Yeah, get away from all that. And and you listened. Yep. Because and Ray Campbell says up here. Um, you had what scripture calls an 11 11 o'clock hour with the heart of a detective that listened to God's prodding. You could have said, go jump in a lake, man. <laughs> you could I did in the beginning because <laughs> I thought it was a joke, you know? Yeah, right. Like, right. this is not a detective calling me, you know? Yeah, But right. yes, absolutely. You could have, but you listened to to the man. And, and, and so when you're, when you're, when you're trying to make changes in life, like uh, that's a significant change. Yeah. Right. So when you're trying to make changes in life, 
the 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 bad people that want to pull you down with them they still show up they still like were you getting those calls were you getting your were your boys like stopping hey what's hey come on man what's up let's let's go let's go beat these people up <laughs> so so that. fortunately you know they knew that i had become like it seems weird to say this because nobody really knows me as a rapper today yeah. um you know, if you ask the average hip hop guy, they're going to be like, that guy wasn't anybody, you know, yeah. because I had small pockets of people that liked me, you know, I've yeah. been source, but, but so, so, but to, to Valdosta, Georgia, to the people there, they were like, you're freaking huge, you know, like you're yeah. the big deal. And um, so I stayed gone, you know, that's what saved me. I, I stayed uh, on the road, you know, yeah. I, I hate, I hated going back home because I knew that. I was going to get those phone calls from some of the same people. Yeah. So, so mind you, although I'm rapping and I'm on the road, what used to be anger turned into depression. Mm. I started becoming really, really depressed, really, really just, just numb. You know, I remember I were, I, I remember like people thought I was on top of the world but in reality, I didn't feel a th- I didn't feel nothing. I was numb. I was so numb that I mean, I I didn't I realized one day, Ken, that I didn't even know what happiness felt like. Like I was like, what is even like what is the emotion of happiness? I don't even know it. Is is that real? Right. Like w- right. what is love? Like is love a real emotion? Because I I I never felt those things before. And and uh you know, so I was rapping out. Last time I did a show, I think I got like, I was getting like three thousand dollars a show. That was a lot of money to stand on stage for thirty minutes and do. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I thought I was doing it, but I was spending the money as fast as I could get it, and right. um, you know, just on stupid stuff. You know, partying, renting yeah. cars, acting like you're a baller. Yeah. No financial uh literacy at all. Long story short, I was just numb, and uh, I remember there was this other rapper in the city that I, that I still talk to today. He's always been a great guy. Very, very amazing man. His name is Jimmy. I I asked Jimmy to go on my last show with me to Ogden, Utah. I said, Hey Jimmy, will you accompany me to this show? He said, yeah. He said, I said, all right, everything's paid for your plane ticket, your hotel. And Jimmy says, man, that's awesome. He says, I'll drive. I said, phenomenal. So we're driving from Valdosta to Atlanta a day ahead of time so that we can make sure we get to the airport on time. Well, on the way there, traffic slows up a little bit. And as we get up there, we see a body laying in the middle of 75, I-75, a body just laying there. And I'm like, what? Jimmy gets out the car. He goes over to look at the body. He walks back over to me. And he says, he's dead, dude. And I'm like, what? What? We look down. There's nothing, there's nothing showing evidence of any type of you know accident or anything happening. So when we look over in the ditch, we see that the guy vehicle is way off the road. We didn't even notice it. So apparently the car turned over, the guy fell out of it, and there he is. The weird thing wow. was there was no external bleeding. And uh, so so at that point, I'm looking at a dead body on the way to Utah, which is one of the most 
spiritual, you know, they say spiritual places in, in the United States with, yeah. you know, all the cathedrals and things of that nature. And uh, I look at Jimmy and I'm like, hey, I don't think we should go. Like, this might be a sign that we shouldn't go. And he was like, no, I think we should go. So we went to, we went and uh, we we fly to Utah. I do my last show. Jimmy, Jimmy's impressed because he's a rapper too. And he's trying to figure like, how are you doing all this stuff? Like, how are you yeah. in this five, six star hotel and these people, yeah. Budweiser and all of this stuff? And you're not even famous, you know? And meanwhile, <laughs> I'm numb. I don't feel any of the excitement Jimmy feels. I'm numb. I'm dead on the inside. And I remember on the way back, home i said when i get back to valdosta i'm going to disappear i'm going to i'm going to disappear from the world i need to figure something out i need to i need to find myself yeah meanwhile i the bad part was i had a deal on the table i had a record deal on the table and i just knew i had to find myself so i went back home i turned i i deactivated my facebook account i deactivated my youtube account which had all my music on it I turned my cell phone off and nobody could find me at all. Only person could find only person had access to me directly was my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. And and how old I, were you then? I was probably 26, 27 mm. then. I'm wow. 37 now. Uh my wife was the only person that had access to me. And <laughs> he's er, Eric's a musician, man. He can sing. <laughs> That dude can sing the phone book and it, it's beautiful, man. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a famous name, Eric yeah. Cornelius. <laughs> EC. Yeah. EC. Yeah. Right there with Chris Stapleton. Yeah. Right. Uh, I turned my cell phone off. Nobody could find me. So these guys that I used to hang out with, they couldn't find me. You know, to everybody's knowledge, I'm traveling somewhere. Meanwhile, they didn't even know I was in the same city, but. Wow. I just couldn't be found. I, I I wanted to just find myself. Yeah. And uh, I got heavily into, I got heavily into meditation. And all I was just doing, I kind of unconsciously stumbled into it. I just realized I hadn't, I had never just really contemplated. Yeah. So I sat there with my eyes closed one day and I just focused on my thoughts. Like, I'm like, what do I think about? And I realized I had some really depressing thoughts going on in my head. Yeah. And I was like, no wonder I'm freaking depressed. <laughs> like, wow. Did you see that thought just run by? And so I got in the habit of just sitting and observing my thoughts. And one day I came across the thought of my father. And all kind of emotions sprung up. Mm. And I don't know how I decided to do this or why. But as I imagine my father's face, I just kept saying the words silently in my mind, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. I sat there and said it for about 30, 40 minutes over and over and over again until the pain that I felt with him, felt for him, was no longer there. And all of a sudden, wow, I just burst into tears. I cried like a baby. Cried, 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 cried. I mean, just boo-hoo crying. And then laughter. And the reason why I start laughing is because I felt literally the weight of the world lift off of my shoulders. Wow. I, I didn't, it was almost as if I had been carrying around this, 
this invisible book bag that was filled with cement for 27 years and didn't even know it. And that day I sat the book bag down and I'm like, oh my God, this is what happiness feels like. This is what love feels like. My goodness. Wow. So I, I get up, right? I get up, I go in there and I ask my wife, who's my girlfriend at the time, let me hold your phone. I got to call my mom. I get on the phone. I call my mom. I'm like, mom, I'm telling you the key to happiness is forgiveness. I'm telling you, you know, like you can, you can be anything. You don't have to be sad. You know, I called everybody that I, that I loved. And I told them about my new realization, this new insight that I had that we don't have to be victims in this world. Like we just don't know the tools to free ourselves. And I just started calling everybody. Guess what they thought? Last time they heard about me, I was this gangster rapper somewhere. Now I'm calling them talking about forgiveness, forgiveness and <laughs> happiness. They're like, this guy has went crazy. <laughs> this guy, <laughs> this guy has lost it. And so that was the talk a little bit like, yo, you talked to Robbie? Yeah, I heard he was like sitting in the backyard meditating. And, and like, <laughs> like this dude has that everybody was like, this guy has literally he's, lost his mind. Like he's, he's crazy. Yeah. He slapped crazy. A friend of mine. I don't know if this is true, but he said that he snuck over to my house one day to try to just pop up on me because nobody could call me. And uh, he says he walked. <laughs> he says he walked in the back of the yard, and I was sitting in the backyard on a on a little pillow <laughs> talking to a squirrel. <laughs> and I was like, I said, "Dude, you're lying. I I never talked to a squirrel. <laughs> I said, "You never talked. I never talked to a squirrel." Now, <laughs> What what made me kind of believe him is that uh, I did feel like <laughs> I did start funny. feeling like at some point I start feeling like because we had we we lived on this street called Georgia Avenue and it was kind of it was like old houses house we yeah. lived in was built in like 1920 but it had like this beautiful big backyard like this like a secret garden in in the back it, the backyard had a backyard you know one of those yeah. type of houses. And so I did start feeling like I could communicate with the animals. Like, I, and I know this sounds weird, but like I would raise my frequency so high and like feel so good that when I would open my eyes a lot of times, sometimes there would be like hundreds of birds just surrounding me. It was just weirdest. I know this sounds crazy. Or, or maybe like when I woke up, when I came out of meditation, there would be a turtle sitting in front of me or like a squirrel would be looking at me. If you go back far enough on my Instagram page, you'll see one day where I came back in 2013, I come out of meditation and there's like this butterfly sitting on my shoulder, you know, and I started to realize that maybe we're missing something like maybe because we're so in tune to being human we forgot our natural connection to nature, our natural connection to life, our natural connection to God. And it just showed me the power of just forgiveness, you know? So I tell people I use forgiveness today like a cleaning mechanism. You know, if you, if you look at the Bible, Bible tells you not to get religious because I'm not really that religious, but the Bible even tells you the body is a vessel. A vessel is a pipeline. And so if you're holding on to fear, anger, guilt, animosity, 
you are clogging your pipeline in the essence of life or Christ cannot flow through you freely. Okay, it, it cannot flow through you freely and it will cause you to live a life of dis-ease, of panic, of fear. And that's what I see when I look around in the world today. I'm like, man, these guys just don't have access to the tools to free themselves from the victim mentality. And uh, that's that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> Dude, I, so let's uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Yes. No, I, I'm kidding. Uh, nobody, I, not only Joe Ingram, who's on here. I think he's still on here. Um, you know, I, I saw I saw some videos of you talking about Trump. Yes. And you were talking about Black Lives Matter and you were talking about all the, the craziness going on in the world. And, you know, for anybody that just joined, um, you know, Robbie was was raised a very wealthy kid. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Wealthy with stress. <laughs> yeah, but but no, you went through a lot of stuff, man. And yeah. I can relate because I went through the same exact stuff. Wow. And, yeah, and and I I teach like I, I one of the very first things I do when I'm coaching people is I talk about meditating. I've meditated every single day of my life for over 17 years, man. That is amazing. Same, man. Wow. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, we're we're cut from the same cloth, we're and we're in the same business. I mean, I it, in a lot of ways. It's running, man. And you lived on Marion Street. I live in Marion, Ohio. So and, you know. <laughs> and I now live in the city that you used to live in. Yeah, Atlanta. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that weird? That's crazy, man. So, 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 um, now my camera, however, is not tripping. <laughs> Mine is. How talking is that poster, man? It's got, to... but anyway, um... let's, see. let's see here. Let's do this. How's that? <laughs> oh, no. look, look what it's doing now. That is some crazy stuff. But anyway, like, <laughs> talk to me about, um, you know, what, what you, I mean, and be as open as you can be. Uh, you seem to be a pretty open. I'm very guy. open. Um, but like, talk about what you, what you see going on in the world today. And somebody said something up here. Um, I don't know. Do you know Evan? Evan's Evan's. Yeah, I know Evan. Evan is a great guy. Oh, great he, man. He's, he's he is he is an amazing dude. Yeah, uh, wisdom beyond age with Evan. Uh, Evan is phenomenal. So so Ray says, what do you say to the young black men today who are where you were in a home with a dad like yours or no dad at all? How can we reach them? How can we get to their hearts and 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 help them see they don't have to live in 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 this I mean, dude, it's insane out there, man. Man, it is insane. Um, you know, I, you know, one of the reasons I stopped rapping is because I realized that although I had changed my life, I wasn't in the streets or anything like that. The music I was putting out there was still brainwashing people. Um, I don't think people are taught about the power of the brain. I don't think people are taught how... Uh, influence their mind can be, particularly in the realm of music. If you sit there and listen to depressing music or angry music all day, you're going to be angry or depressed. And yeah. I think our culture, our 
the biggest music in our culture is hip hop music. And what does the hip and I'm not trying to de- uh, demonize hip hip hop music. I'm not trying to target anybody. Hip hop music demonizes itself. It demonizes itself. We uh the the music perpetuates drugs, murder. Yeah. You know, all of the all of the all of the, the recipe for victim mentality can be found in a lot of the music today. Yeah. And that's what's fueling our neighborhoods. Um yeah. There's not a group of white men coming to these neighborhoods trying to take people out. There's not there's not any there's not a group of white men saying, you know, push these drugs for me or rob this person for me. And we yeah. we've been using it because of our past. Okay, we have a very colorful past. Black and white people are kind of like it's like our history is so like mingled. We have a very uh strong history that yeah. a lot of people are still using today as an excuse to play that role of what I call a victim. And I know a lot of people, I'm not talking about the people who've actually had bad encounters with cops. Let's be honest. There are, there are good and bad people in every sector of life. Amen. I'm not, t- I'm talking about the people who hasn't had any of, and most of these people out here that are rioting and protesting, these people hadn't, don't even know a lot of white people most of the time. And then second of all, they've never even physically been involved in any type of racism at all, especially the systemic racism that they're talking about. So we got to start holding ourselves accountable. Now, a lot of people will hear my message and they'll think that they're that, oh, man, you're 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 dumping on the black man. First of all. I'm a human being. And I see everybody as a human being. I'm not on a black side or a white side. I'm just trying to share my knowledge from my experience of what has helped me out in life. And until we stop seeing ourselves as this side versus that side and see ourselves as just people, I think we're going to have these problems continue to, to, uh, to, to be bought up over and over again. And I think another thing that, that is, I think it was set up to be a good thing, but it's actually done the reverse. Uh, we got to stop segregating our history. We got to stop talking about history and then black history. Like it should just be history because every February black people are reminded that they're, guess what the number one selling movie is in February slave movies. So you, you, you rehearse these things over and over again Yep. And when people leave out of these theaters or they leave from the television, that's the world they still see today. And so it, it makes us to, it makes us feel like we don't have to be accountable uh, anymore. And I know a lot, I'll probably get a lot of flack for it, but it is what it is. It's, it's the truth. I lived it. I'm a guy that has been through it. And I feel like this. I, like I said, I was born in the deep South. The deep south. Um, you know, Valdosta is the last city that you're gonna get to before you get to Florida. Right. I have never felt like I was being targeted because of the color of my skin. I never I I was tar- I've been targeted more for the colored clothes I wear or wore <laughs> back then through the right. through due, due to game banking you can't wear a red, a red shirt in a blue neighborhood you know what i mean that type of stuff that right there is what i call oppression and targeting and systematic oppression that's systematic oppression yeah um 
I've never had, and I, I'm not saying racism doesn't exist. Racism, the way I sum it up is racism is just a cute way of saying hatred. Hatred yeah. is a big thing today. And I think that people need to, to, to have a heart to heart with their own emotions. You know, men, men are taught really not to have, not to be emotional, not to talk about your emotions. And I just think that that is fueling a lot of the stuff that you see today. And you have also, you have a party. Let's be honest with you. The, if the, if, if black people didn't feel like they were victims, the, 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 uh, I can't, the democratic party would evaporate today because well, the democratic party and, and I'm not trying to separate anything, but I used to be that mindset. So I know how it operates. It operates on sep separating black women from black men or from me men from women in general. And, you know, they get women to marry the system. If 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 black people today stop feeling like they were being targeted, that system would disappear right now because. Black people are the only ones holding the Democratic Party up. And I hate to say I'm not I'm, I'm an independent. So. I just see it for what it is, man. It's a lot, but I, I don't think. Like right now, Trump just did the uh, five hundred billion dollar platinum plan, OK, for um, for black business owners in, in black community and things of that nature. Um, I don't think you can throw money at it. This has to be an internal shift. You cannot buy somebody's love. You cannot. You the, people have to have an internal shift, and nobody is talking about that. No, nope. it's so weird how we go through the school system, and nobody is saying, well, "Let me show you about mastering your mind. Let me show you about how to deal with your emotions." Like that should be kindergarten. Oh. You know, we're not talking about the real issue. And Ken, if I guarantee you this, I look at the United States like I look at a neighborhood. If I if I say if I tell my family, hey, we're going to make sure that our house is the cleanest house on the block. We're going to make sure that our yard is nice. We're going to make sure that our insides are nice. And then my neighbor says, yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. And then my other neighbor says, I'm going to do the same thing. The next thing you know, we have a beautiful street. And then also we have a, then it starts growing and we have a beautiful neighborhood. And if yeah. every neighborhood does it, we have a beautiful city. And if every city does it, we have a beautiful state. And if every state does it, we have a beautiful country. Amen. It, but wow. if you don't teach people that they have to be held accountable for their mindset, we're never going to get to this state of utopia. And, you know, one thing, if I was President Trump, who I'm definitely rooting for, if I was his advisor, I would tell him, look, we got to when you get on that podium, man, start slipping a little bit of mindset into this thing. Mm -hmm. And I, I think his message is starting to shift now. I see a lot of prosperity talk at some of his uh, his yeah. rallies now. That's the Donald Trump we need right now going into this second uh, phase of leadership in America. We need to be rooting people to be prosperous and have that prosperous mindset, that never ending resilience to to keep going no matter how tough it gets.
You know, James Bodwin, my buddy here, says it's hard to inject logic into an illogical situation. And it is because, you know, I mean, dude, I, I, I was fortunate enough not to head to to down the road. I, I, I had a shift, you know, in my life and 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 but I was heading in a bad direction, man. And, mm. and you know, so but. For the people, you know, I had a friend, a, a long conversation with a good friend of mine that 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 grew up in in the rough areas of L.A. Compton, you know, and and he's he 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 was you know he was a he was in a gang and and you know we this was last night we had a long conversation about it and and I said you know the problem is 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 and I've been there. So this isn't a judgment. This isn't a black right. thing. It, I, I don't give a shit if you're green. It don't matter. Exactly. Like, Me like either. It, it's, it's, are you living your life intentionally yeah. or are you, you live in your life as a victim that's, that's waiting for somebody else to, to cause you harm again. That's and, right. And, and you're trying to be offensive so they can't get you first. And, and, you know, having that mindset shift, like, I, I'll say you were kind of, I mean, you were blessed, man. You were blessed to have number one, the the detective reach out to you and tell you, "Hey, wake up." Number yeah. two, you were blessed spiritually somehow that 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 God said in, in Ogden, Utah, said you need to go find yourself. Something, yeah. something spoke to me. And and yeah. so you stopped and you said, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna meditate. Maybe you heard something somewhere, maybe, but you 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 know you decided to make a shift. Yes. And and most people aren't living like that. Most people can't get there that especially if they grew up in the hood or they're gangbangers or they're you know, I mean, how do you get to those people, man? How do you how do you get to them and 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 help them? wake up you gotta so fortunately even if you're in the hood everybody has access to people that are not in the hood that's going to be your first line of help so if you live in the hood and you have a job then you obviously you're connected to somebody who's obviously not in the hood whether it's a small business owner <clears throat> go if you work for a small business owner that doesn't live in the hood or that has made it out start Look at that person. I was fortunate enough. I'm, I'm gonna give a shout out to a, a, my millionaire mentor that I met. You know, when I was still out there rapping, his name is Bobby Diaz. He is a, he is a, in my mind, a, uh, you know, a mega entrepreneur. You know, he was a millionaire when I met him. You know, like yeah. he was just one of these guys. He didn't come from money. He's a first generation self made millionaire. When I, I met Bobby, because we we had mutual friends and ironically the guy that introduced us is now a police officer as well. Wow. <laughs> so uh, this was years ago. So I met Bobby. Bobby was a multimillionaire. And most importantly, I, I connected with Bobby on a really deep level. Um, but I don't even know what nationality Bobby is. I mean, he, he looks white, but he also looks, I don't know. I, I, we've been friends for 12, 13 years, and I still don't know. <laughs> uh, it, it, that, but he was somebody that was outside the hood. So 
when I looked at Bobby, me and him connected instantly. I mean, like the second day I met Bobby, he gave me the key to his house. And he says, you know, he says, oh, I'm about to go to, to the Bahamas. Do you want to, uh, will you watch my house while I'm gone? And I'm just like, what? You know, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Are you, what? Is this a setup? You know? <laughs> so this this white guy just says, hey, watch my house while I'm gone. Here's some cash. <laughs> he said, is this a setup? <laughs> oh, like, I look at, I, I call oh. my, my wife, who's my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, look, you know Bobby didn't want to, she says, yeah, she says, I said, he just gave me the key to his house and gave me some money to watch his house, you know, like while he's gone. So what I did was I'm always big on, I want to be, I'm going to always try to one up you. Like if you send me a gift, I'm going to send you a gift too. I'm going to send you a gift that's better than the one you gave me. Like I want to be the friend in the relationship that's always going over and beyond for you. Yeah. Um. So when Bobby went out of town, like the day before he, um, uh, and this ties into the question that you asked me. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he he stayed out of town in the Bahamas for like a week or so, I don't know how long it was the first time, but um, I said, okay, uh, when he comes back, I'm going to make sure his house is in better condition than it was when he left. Wow. I'm going to make sure it smells good. I'm going to vacuum. I'm going to do all the dishes. I'm going to wipe off the counter. And I'm even going to do his freaking laundry without him asking me to do it. And I did it the first time he came back. He says, man, wow, did you clean up? I said, yeah. He was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. So he felt comfortable from that point on. Meanwhile, he had money laying around. The money was still there. You know, everything was still intact. A week would pass, two weeks would pass. He was like, hey, man, I want to take my girlfriend you know, out of town this weekend. You want to stay at my house? And so every time he would ask me to stay at his house, I would make sure he didn't ask me at all. He just said, watch his house, take the dog out a little bit. I would make sure his house was spick and span, absolutely clean. I used to spray this um, this Abercrombie and Fitch home spray that he used to have. I used to spray that in the air. When he come back home, <laughs> it was smelling good. It was feeling good. It felt rich, you know. This was the first time I've ever been in a millionaire's house, you know, and every time my wife and I would make sure that his home was amazing. So long story short, we went from we went from that point. I was rapping. Bobby comes to me one day. He was like, yo, I want to invest in your rap. He was like, I know this guy in California who can who can do beats and things of that nature. This is when I was still rapping. Yeah. And uh, Bobby invested some money into me getting a really top notch producer. But. The bad part was I just had this spiritual awakening and I didn't want to rap anymore. <laughs> so this is like, um, oh. thank you for, so so now I got to figure out how can I pay Bobby back this money, right? And so meanwhile, I found, I discovered Amazon and I started selling products on Amazon. And literally I had 25 cents in my name, turned that 25 cents into $40, turned $40 into $2,000 and took that $2,000 blew it all and wasted it on more products that never sold oh, and geez. got depressed for a little bit. And I said, you know what? I started from nothing. I can do it all again. Did it all over again. And in one day I made like $20,000 on Amazon. The next day I did like 21,000 in sales on Amazon. Wow. And I never looked back from that point. So the, 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 
oh, let me say this. I did that so long. I'm in my, I was in my room just getting to the money, you know. I'm like, I'm about to become a millionaire in this one room in my house. And Bobby comes to me. I hadn't spoke to him in a while. He comes to me one day. He's like, hey, you still owe me that money, right? I said, yeah. He says, you don't have to pay me back. He said, just, just use your internet skills to help me grow my company. And I said, okay, cool. He says, wow. and I'll tell you what I'll do. He says, I'll, he, he had an apartment complex, brand new condos, uh, three bedroom, three bath, four bedroom, four bath, and apartments. He says, if you help me market my company, I'll give you a condo to stay in for free, four bedroom, four bath. He said, you don't have to pay for lights. You don't have to pay for water. You don't have to pay for internet. Just market my company for me. And he says, if if my college students need to go back and forth to school, you know, just jump on the van and run them to school and come back and you can go in the house and, you know, still run your Internet business. I said, cool. So I went out there and I realized that Bobby didn't have any Internet presence at all. He didn't have a website, nothing. Yeah. So I didn't even tell him I'm using the same thing again. I'm doing things he's not asking me to do. I look around and I started building him a website without him asking me. Wow. I've spent a little bit of money on marketing out of my own pocket. One day he comes to the office and there's 20, 30 people in the office with applications ready to fill out. He was like, what's going on in here? And I said, oh, all these people are here to fill out applications. And he says, how did y'all hear about us? And one of the girls were like, oh, uh, this is a, uh, you know, your website. And he was like, our website? And I said, yeah, I forgot to tell you, I built a website. And that website just kept bringing in more and more money. So one day when the opportunity came open, he says, hey, man, I got an opportunity. I want you to run the whole company. Wow. And I said, really? He was like, yeah. I said, I don't know, man. I said, I, you know, I'm making money on my own. You know, I'm I'm good. I don't know if I yeah. want to run the company. So he wasn't giving me money at the time. You know, we, yeah. we was just exchanging it, which was money, you know, yeah, a right. free place to live. That's money. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm stacking up all my money. I don't have rent. My car paid for everything, you know. Wow. And uh, I'm a big freedom type of guy. I quickly realized that I valued freedom more than I valued money. And so I realized that although I was making a lot of money, um, I, I felt trapped at the place. You know, I worked at the place that I live. So I felt yeah. like I was in, I was kind of confined. So anyway, I made a ridiculous proposal. I was like, all right, I'll run the company if you give me this percentage of yeah. everything that comes into your company plus my, plus my um, apartment. And I sent it to him in an email one weekend. He calls me that Monday morning. He was like, dang. He's like, man, you pretty shrewd. <laughs> he's like, uh, he's like, you straight up, ain't you? I said, yeah, I am. And he says, all right, Rob. He say, it's a deal. So we did the deal. He gave me a percentage of everything that came into the company. Plus, so then I got really smart. I was like, I'm still, I'm kind of stressed out because I was running the entire company by myself while he did like the finances. He got the deals yeah. And, yeah. and I took care of everybody else. And so um, I got real stressed out. And I was like, man, I still need more money than this, you know? So I was like, I got a clever. Now I said, I need more freedom than this. I said, I got yeah. a clever idea. I said, I'm going to move out of the, of, I'm going to move out the condo. 
And I'm going to find, I'm going to rent it out and I'll just collect the money from the rent. So now wow, I'm subleasing a condo that I don't even have a lease on in the beginning anyway. It's mine, right? So I can rent it out. You can't. Yeah. So, so I told him my idea. Matter of fact, I went on ahead and got a house. I'm, I'm one of these guys. I'm going to do something before I tell you I'm going to do it. So I went on ahead and got a house before I told him I was moving. I was like, yo, I'm moving out. <laughs> wow. And uh, he was like, what? No. I was like, yeah, but it's cool. I said, I have a sheriff moving in. I said, the sheriff, he's one of the biggest sheriffs on the force. You know, he's highly respected and he's going to be our eyes and ears out here as well. So I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm putting somebody in this unit that's going to pay on time. Right. Plus, he's in, he, all these guys I'm telling you about, you can find every single one of them on my Facebook page. Um, some of the cops go by different names. You know, they try to be elusive on online, but um, all these guys are great. So anyway, I moved out and I rented out the apartment. And I was getting cash money from that apartment without it even being mine, you know, <laughs> plus I'm getting a percentage of everything I'm collecting at the company. So I'm I'm banking at the time. So I started taking all my money and just investing it in software, hiring people and things of that nature. But the long story short is try to find somebody that's outside of the hood. That's where your access is going to come from. And a lot of people think that a, a lot of black people think that white people don't want them around. That's that's not what I've found to be true. I'm tattooed up. 95% of the people that use our software to run their company online are older white men who they don't care about my color. They never ask about my tattoos. I have a client right now. It's a billion dollar client. Okay. I sit down in there. Uh, I sit down in their headquarters one day and we're just talking, you know. Uh, I never expected him to say this, but he started talking about Gucci Mane, who's a rapper. And I'm like, what? How do you know? <laughs> so uh, a lot of black people feel like white people don't want them around. It's not that. It's that people value, when, when a person builds a, a community, people value the safety and quietness of that community. Yeah. They don't want anybody out there that's going to be causing a ruckus and making them feel safe in a house that I just paid three hundred thousand to a million dollars for. I mean, this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. So people have to be taught how to be of value in people's lives. And so this is what I learned early. I learned that I had to be valuable in the eyes of somebody else. And if I was valuable in somebody else's eyes, they pay me good money to be valuable for yeah. them. And so that's what I would say. Find somebody outside the hood, whether it's white, black, it doesn't matter the skin color, but somebody that has made it out that, and don't say, hey, what can I get from this millionaire or anything? Don't. My thought was never that. My thought was, this guy doesn't have a good friend in his life. He's got, he's, he knows a lot of people, but he doesn't have like a really good friend. I got it. I'm going to be his good friend. I'm going to be his guy. Yeah. I'm going to be the one that's going over and beyond doing things for him that he's not even asking anybody to do. Right. So that's where I would start. So it, it, so it goes back to Chris Rock's video about how to not get your ass kicked by the police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> <a> right, friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, 
it, it, it's about having that right attitude, man. Right. Like, yeah, the, man. the neighborhood I live in right now is uh it's probably like two black, two or three black families here from what I've seen. Um everybody treats me nice, you know. They uh you know, sometimes my neighbors knock on my door and say, Hey, can your kids come out? Wanna take them to the pool? Like people, yeah. I think people can feel your vibe. People know when they're dealing with somebody that they can trust or they might need to watch out for. Um, And that's what I've always prided myself on. You know, even when I was out there doing music, oddly enough, half of my crowd would be filled with rednecks. You know, they would be like, yeah, boy, you know, they would would all show up. And I I, I love that culture because I'm from the, I'm from the South, you know, Um, I even grew up, I even grew up and had some clothing that had rebel flags on it. Like it wasn't a big deal to me. I just never thought anything of it, you know. Do you, um, do you own a rebel flag right now? I do not own one now. Uh you know, I won't even put a Trump sign outside my yard, unfortunately. You know, we live in a time right now where people uh associate that name with a lot of stuff that triggers them. Yeah, and like I said, I'm in a predominantly white neighborhood. There's still Joe Biden signs everywhere, man. Like I see, I see him too, man. I think, yeah. but like you know, here, I, I, dude. First off, like, wow, what an unbelievable story you have, and and the energy you're putting out to the world is it, it's it's incredible, man. Thank I, you, I, man. I appreciate you. You are like, you're like my brother from another mother, man. You I'm are. You are my brother from another mother. Absolutely. I mean that, man. It's, it's for me, it's like, wow, all of the, we'll talk more off air, but, but like, <clears throat> I think that your attitude, man, if, if we could, if we could make your attitude contagious, I'm not talking about, I'm not, and, and for me, look, man, it, it ain't about, it ain't about Trump. It ain't about Biden. It ain't no. about black. It ain't about white. It's about what's in your heart, man. That's Cause right. I truly believe that most people in their heart, deep in their heart are good people. They are. Even the people out there doing the dumb shit right now. I I mean, you look at you look at some of these these riots and stuff going on. Eighty percent of them are white kids. (laughs) Like what the hell? It's weird. It's very weird, man. I'm like, what is going on? There's two cultures coming together, and they're kind of like Power Rangers. So two (laughs) cultures come together and they form they form this other thing. So you got. You got, you, got, you got victim culture over here. Yeah. That teams yeah. up with guilt culture. Yeah. And then they morph together and they create cancel culture. Yeah. They, it's, it's the weirdest thing. I, it's, 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 it's weird. It's crazy, man. You got it, man. You just got to keep getting your message out there. We didn't even, uh, dude, this is an hour program. We're at an hour and 26. Jeez. <laughs> So, so yeah, and James is saying it's by design. It is, man. If people just would wake up and go, you know, how are they, how, like, look at what's going on, man. You're being set up. You're being set up. You're being programmed to believe stuff that just isn't real. I know. You know, it's master manipulation. 
It it truly is, man. So you've got your own podcast. You want to talk yes. about that real quick? You know, my podcast is uh is something that I just do. I've been doing every day since well, not every day, but I've been doing it since 2011, 2012, maybe. Um, but it's all about you can't yell White Ranger though. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my god. So my podcast is Self Mastery Radio. You can find it anywhere, you know. Um, it's not something I really promote because you know, I am a businessman at the end of the day. A lot of the stuff I talk about, um, you know, when people meet you, they only meet one side of you, you know. Right. They don't know your, all the other things that you've been through. or So I don't really promote it that much other than, like, self-mastery radio is its own thing outside of what I do in real life to, you know, make money, which is running my, my company. And, um, but, yeah, it's all about, just helping people feel empowered. And I trigger people, you know, because I think that, you know, I, I talk, I talk about it. I feel like I, I should be able to talk about black culture. I'm black, you know, like I think a white person should be able to talk about black culture. We need to get to a point to where wow. we need to get to a point to where we can all sit down and start talking about how we can all improve. And, what yeah. I've seen, you know, from my personal eyes, man, my my phenomenon, my my experience with just people by far has just been very positive. You know, uh, the people that have been negative, I just walk away from them. I don't even, I don't, I don't say, hey, I don't <laughs> like what you said, or I have this switch in my brain. I think because of all of this stuff I've been through. There's a little light switch in my brain. If I flick it, I can forget about you and make and make you disappear out of my mind forever. Like, especially people that I've grew up with that I felt like have done me wrong at some point. Like yeah. some traits I can overlook, but like if a person kind of you know does something that you, they'll probably do that again. You know, so I'm yeah. one of those type of guys. I'm still shrewd with that, but um, my whole mission with Self Mastery Radio is to help people improve the quality of their life experience. Yeah. And I, I call it owning your personal reality. If we can if we can put people back into the driver's seat of their own life. Yeah. And get them to say, "Hey, if I go out here right now, if I knock on 100 doors today, 10 people are going to give me a conversation." Yeah. If I go and slap somebody, that's also going to give me a conversation, but it's probably going to be a conversation I don't want to have. You know what I mean? So just putting people back into the driver's seat of their lives and stop saying, hey, if my day if my day is good or bad, Robbie did it. You know, like Robbie did that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's what my message is about. You know, right now, a lot of people try to get me to go talk to urban communities and things of that nature. I don't. And the reason why, and, I, and this is where I'm probably a little controversial. I'm not going to go meet you where you are. I want you to come here and meet me where I am because I'm where you need to be. I don't want to go to where you are. Like, <laughs> like lift up and, and like, let me, and then when you get to where I am, I'm, I'm going to be right here with a, with a message for you. That's going to, yeah. if you use it, it can change your life. I've been through it. Like you're like, I, I got you once you get here. If you get here, I got you. Yeah. But I can't go there because you can't 
it's kind of like this. I, the military is beautiful. I've never been in the military, but I love the way they structure everything. When yeah. you sign up for the military, the first thing they do is take you out of your natural habitat. They send you, they send you off somewhere so that they can condition, so that they can condition you into the soldier they want you to be. Yes. They're not gonna say, all right, we'll come to your hood or your house every day and we're gonna whip you into shape. You know, <laughs> you gotta get out the house and go off, you know, yeah. go to this base somewhere where your family and friends can't influence you. That's how I am. I'm that military coach. You know, I'm going to say, you know, come where I am and I got you. And, you know, and it's, I had, I had a friend, you know, I just, I, I had a friend, one of my long lost, uh, not long lost friends, um, one of my longtime friends, you know, all this stuff started going on. You know, I just let him know where I stood with it. And, you know, we don't really talk that much today, you know, because of my, my mindset, because, in our culture, we have a loyalty to black to black. Like our, our culture is you 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 ride for black no matter what, whether we wrong or right, and you don't you don't address our flaws in public. I'm publicly talking about what can be done better, not just with black culture, because I, I I don't even like the term black culture. I just think about culture. Right. In certain cultures. If you want different results, you got to do different things. And I talk about it openly. I'm not perfect. I'm still working on myself every single day. But I don't mess with anybody. I stay to myself. I, I'm by myself most of the time if I'm not with my family. Yeah. And I think if people stop. See, people will do things in large groups that they will never do by themselves. Right now, you have these riots going on because people feel brave because there are other people around them. Their peers are around them. Yeah. Some of these kids out here wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight if they was by themselves. <laughs> so wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight. <laughs> they wouldn't bust a grape in a fruit fight if they were by themselves with nobody else. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't even they, they would not. OK. <laughs> Look at what Eric Cornelius just said. <laughs> he's, dude, he's, he's that, that dude's crazy. I love him. Man. I'm in, Eric. Let's do it. <laughs> come in. Come if you in, can Eric. deal with this personality here, I'm in. <laughs> dude, dude, you'd be telling him to hit the bricks in about. But, but so, so I'm kidding. Eric's a good dude. But uh, so. Uh, dude, your message is so powerful, man. It, it's got to get out more. It's got to get out a whole lot more. And, I, and I, I, I think I'm sure that there are people in the black community um, that 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 call you the the Uncle Tom and the. the I get called it at least twice a day, particularly on TikTok. <laughs> you got you gotta love those keyboard warriors, man. The keyboard warriors, man. They, you know. Dude, if they met you out front, it'd be a whole different. <laughs> you know, I'll, I, you know, the power of personal reality. I'm like, first of all, good luck finding out where I, you know, good luck coming into physical contact with me because yeah. I kind of live in a fairy world. Like my life is so beautiful, you know, for, <laughs> for a really bad person to come into my reality. It's like, I don't know how that's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Well, they, that, my point is most of them, most of them couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag, man. And they, they, they just get, 
they like getting on the keyboard and talking all kinds of smack. Exactly. Know? Exactly. You know, I, I told my wife, I was like, you know, I want to, you know, I'm from the South, you know, in the South, we ride, we, we put, we jack our trucks up. We put these big flags on it. And, you know, like I told my wife, I was like, damn, I really want to put a Trump flag on that truck. I said, but, you know, I just don't feel like messing nobody up. Like I, just don't, I don't want nobody messing with me and I don't want to mess nobody up. Let me tell you what happened the other day. I went to the Trump, the, the, a Trump rally here. Yeah. I'm walking back to my truck. You know, it was a beautiful experience. I'm walking back to my vehicle. <laughs> I, I didn't know anybody was watching me, you know. I had already put my Trump sign in the back seat and I was on the other side of my vehicle. I'm walking in the front and all of a sudden I hear this voice say, how are you going to vote for a man that don't uh, support his own uh, military, bro? And I was like, where in the hell is that coming from? <laughs> I look and there's this dude, this black dude driving by in this pickup truck yelling at me out the window. You want to vote for this man? He doesn't even, he likes Russia more than, and I'm like, how mad do you have to be in life to yell out the window at a total stranger <laughs> because he had a Trump sign? I don't get I wanted to say, bro, if I was white, would you have yelled out the window at me? Right. No, because you don't feel like you own the white guy, but yeah. you feel like you own me because I'm black. Wow. And right now, I think. Wow, you know, black supremacy is a real thing. Black doesn't want you right now. There are certain black entities that don't want you to think outside of what they think black is supposed to be, and you know I got a problem with that too. And yeah, so I'm looked at. I looked at him for a while. I got this on film, by the way. Oh, I, I, I film everything. I film when I'm riding my. If you see me riding, I'm filming some kind of way, <laughs> and uh, so. <laughs> So uh, I, I just look at him. I'm like, is this really happening? I don't even know anybody here. <laughs> like, is this is this really happening right now? So he's like, you need to do your home. As he's driving off, he's like, you need to do your homework, homeboy. And I'm like, I said, I already have. <laughs> That's all I said. And I jumped in my truck and I drove off. And from that point on, I was like, nah, I can't I can't put the Trump sticker or the flag or anything. I can't wear the shirt. I'm not going to do that because you'd really mess him up if you put the rebel flag right next to the Trump flag. <laughs> They'd be like, what is wrong with him? Yeah. Wrong with him? <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, I'm just trying to wake people up, man, and yeah. and get them to understand that. Bro, you're powerful. I don't know why you feel like a victim, but you've been lied to. You are powerful. Yeah, we have things. I mean, even every company under the sun has policies they need to go in and change. America yep. is a company. Yes, there are certain things that we need to work on, but we have been working on those things since times of segregation and things of that nature. There's there's nobody that can stop a black person or a brown person or a white person from making the money they want to make, from living in the home they want to live in, from going to the school they want to go to if they have the right um, the right grades in school. Yeah, there are no <clears throat> limits today. And right now it's equipped. Just imagine, you know what I'm gonna start doing? I'm gonna show up at LeBron James basketball game. I'm gonna <laughs> hold a sign and say that I want equality, and it's unfair that LeBron James 
is a better basketball player than me. I want to make the same amount of money he's making from the sideline. That's what I'm going to start showing up and say. Because the, the <laughs> things they're saying is, is unequal today. It doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, there are people that are going to be smarter than you in all areas under the sun. <laughs> like, it, it, I, I mean, I my God. That is so funny. I love I love knowing people make more money than me, man. Like, right. I, I love knowing that, dang, while I was sleeping last night, somebody made like a million or two or whatever, you know? Like, I love that. That's When I was poor, I'm going to tell you, when I met Bobby, Bobby taught me a lot. Me and Bobby, we, we have our ups and downs. We'll get mad at each other, too. We're like real brothers, you know? Yeah. But when I met Bobby, um, Bobby, I remember one time... <laughs> Me and Bobby, Bobby and I went to Atlanta and uh, we went shopping. And at the time, when I what I call shopping is I'm going into Ross, you know, I'm going to Ross and I'm going to get me some clothes off the discount rack. Bobby goes into a store and he's buying like six, seven hundred dollar jeans. I'm like, what? In the? I'm like, what are you? Even, what is what? <laughs> what are you talking about? But never once did I get jealous because Bobby was able to buy those six, $700 jeans and didn't miss a beat. Like right. to me, I was like, how in the world is he doing that? How? Right. And, and because I didn't get jealous, Bobby was able to share tips with me that, and he taught me the ropes as I, as I went along, yeah. you know? So I, I, I desperately, you know, like I said, we, we argue like brothers, like real, we are real brothers. We'll fall out everything. He's the only man I know that we can get mad at each other and we're going to still be cool. We just might need some space. Yeah. But we've been there uh, with each other uh, from ups and downs. But jealousy and envy is a big thing in this country right now. It is, man. It is. And I I, I see like Candace Owens. I love that woman. I man. love Candace Owens. Oh, dude. I, I wish I could get her on this show because, my gosh, she's amazing. Hey, put that on your vision board. It'll happen. I know, man. I, <laughs> yeah, but like, like you know, she 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 said something, and I'm probably gonna butcher it, but she said something like, because <clears throat> she get you know she gets she gets haters, man. She goes, yeah, she does, and I mean, fifty thousand people show up. It's yeah, crazy. but she's she's you know she said something. She addressed one of the comments. She's like, if you 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 still mad, if you're still mad about. Um, and angry about the the whole slavery thing, then then you still are one. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and and it was like, what you know, like when you're trapped in that, when you're trapped, and it and it was generations ago, man. I know. Evan Evan put up on on the comments a little bit ago saying, you know, look, I, we didn't experience slavery. I I I've never I've never owned a slave you've never been a slave i don't even know my grandmother was old as dirt even when i was young she was old and she wasn't even a slave you know <laughs> right you said old like, do you know i asked the one i'm like do you know anybody that was a slave i don't know anybody but my granddad like <laughs> i've never met one you know right but but so like if if you again it's about that mindset shift man you, yeah Doug Wing right here is a good friend of mine. His dad, his dad started the Little Giant Ladder Company, 
And 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 dude, you want to talk about an, an American success story? That's awesome. Right there, man. Third largest ladder company in the world now. Wow, and that is phenomenal. They're, they're huge. I love stories I, like I, that. Utah. I'm going to Utah this Friday to, to see him. I'm Dang, gonna go- that's awesome. Man. Tell Utah I said hello. It changed <laughs> my life. Didn't even know it. <laughs> that's awesome dude so robbie I, I look this is officially the longest breakthrough wall show i've ever had <laughs> i have never gone an hour and 43 minutes ever Man, so I, I i gotta tell you um like dude i freaking love you i think you're 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 love um, you too ken and you, your story is incredible so i'm gonna end the live stream though if you would hang with me though don't don't hang up on me i want to chat with you real quick when we that get sounds there. great so where and real quick, where can everybody follow you? Where's the best place? It depends on what you need from me. We <laughs> <laughs> know Self Mastery Radio. That's yes. on Instagram. Yeah, you can you can find Self Mastery Radio on any podcast platform, whether it's Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes, wherever. Um, if you want to see me, follow me on TikTok. I know a lot of people aren't on TikTok yet, so I'm also on Instagram as well. Um, I don't really accept friends on Facebook that much because oh, you're that's kind of mine. I'll, I'll accept you on there. <laughs> I have to somebody, but I, I'm, I don't. I only have like 400 friends, so you can get in there. <laughs> but uh, I'm not that active on Facebook that much. Oh, okay. But um, but yeah, I'll. I'll uh, I feel like I should be more active on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got banned from Facebook for two years for selling pop sockets. You know that? Oh, for real? Yeah, I was selling pop sockets. I didn't know. Dang, I shouldn't even say this. <laughs> but, yo, I, I did. I didn't know it was a trademark thing, you know? And uh, they banned me from Facebook for like two years. And then a friend of mine, Matt Pridemore, who owns uh, Badcock Home Stores, uh, he got invited to speak to an event. Mark Zuckerberg and vice president happened to be there. He whispers into their ear like, hey, can you get my guy Robbie back on? He calls me in the middle of the event like, yo, tell me your username on there. They're going to turn you back on. Next thing you know, I'm back on. So, yeah, that's that. Wow. that's <laughs> weird stuff happened in my life. Straight to the top. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you. Everybody go follow Robbie wherever. I I have a feeling we're going to be doing some more stuff together. So, Robbie, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for all all the wisdom. Stay with me and let's chat for a minute here afterwards, okay? Phenomenal. I will do. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day.